Welcome to the Kim Kim Podcast, where we share travel stories from all over the world. We learn from our local experts, travelers, and travel entrepreneurs. Travel is our way of life, and we aspire to inspire more people to travel to interesting places and to have memorable experiences. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the 12th episode of the Kim Kim Podcast. My name is Joost Shreve, and I'm co-founder and CEO of Kim Kim. Today, I have Douglas McLaggan as my guest. Douglas is based in Pokhara, Nepal, and is founder and managing director of the Pavilions Himalayas, a boutique-style luxury eco-resort in a beautiful valley a few miles outside of Pokhara. Welcome to the podcast, Douglas. Uh, thank you very much, Joost. Yeah, so it's, uh, it's early morning, I guess, in, uh, in the monsoon in, uh, in Pokhara, right? That's right. Uh, pretty overcast here. It's uh, half past eight in the morning, so I think uh, probably about 12 hours difference with you. That's right. That's right. And so, uh, yeah, in the monsoon over there in the valley, um, I'm guessing uh, it must be uh, quite, uh, quite wet, right? Uh, is, that, is that right? Yeah, uh, I mean it's um, it, it, it's it's very wet. Not the ideal trekking season, uh, but it has other things because it's got uh, you know the uh, the low hanging clouds through the valleys, and it's uh, it allows you to uh, plant rice, so it's uh, very green and lush. So everybody's uh, busy out on the fields and plowing the old traditional way with uh, oxen, which uh, in itself is uh, is quite romantic, really. That's great. So yeah, let, let's start with uh, um, uh, your path to Nepal. So how did you, uh, where did you come from and how did you get to Nepal eventually? Well, my background, I'm uh, half Scottish and half uh, Dutch and I uh, grew up as such in uh, Great Britain for the first uh, uh, 14 years of my life and then moved to Holland um, where I did my uh, secondary school and stayed there till I was 28. Um, Right. So we have that in common, right? A Dutch background. We, we, we do, absolutely, yeah. And yeah. Uh, I have been living in Nepal now for a good 22 years. So I came here in 1994 uh, for, with the idea of staying here for one or two years and see what's happened. I'm still here and uh, love the country and um, literally have fallen in love not only with the country, but also it's people because I'm, I married a, a Nepalese um, colleague of mine uh, who is working in uh, one of the projects that I was doing in supporting children and young mothers. Well, that's, that's great. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd love to hear some more details about how you, um, um, you know, how you, how you got started in Nepal and, and what kind of projects you were involved with. Sure. Well, um, I, my background is, uh, is education. I'm a teacher. Uh, I did uh, do some counseling for uh, youth uh, facing difficult uh, times in, uh, in Holland at the time. And uh, I decided to go trekking in Nepal uh, when I was 27. And as, uh, as so often, you, you fall in love with this beautiful country with the immense hospitality of the people, uh, the beauty and serenity of the mountains. Uh, the, the, the amazing culture and diversity uh, of, of the languages and such, I, I decided to um, extend my period of, uh, of time by uh, looking a little bit more in, in different Asian countries as well. And uh, when I went back to Holland, I, I really I, I felt that my 
my contribution could be better and more worthwhile in Nepal. So I decided to pack up house um, and not uh, not sell everything immediately for sure. It was uh, the idea was really just to to go for one year, maybe maximum two. And uh, in February '94, I went back to Nepal, uh, working with the government to assess. Uh, the child mortality and the maternal mortality, because this was very high in some regions in Nepal. In fact, uh, mm-hmm. the area where I met my wife later on to be, uh, the uh, the child mortality under fives was 34%. And for me, uh, there was something morally very wrong with that, because, you know, if children can't celebrate their fifth birthday, and it's one-third of the child population, I think something has to be done about that. So I went on a kind of a personal crusade to look at different ways how I could support the government to um, to turn that around. And soon I came up with an idea after about a year of research that uh, we could create simple child uh, take a caring creches where children can be dropped off in remote mountain villages being uh, cared for by uh, the local women who would be trained up as uh, early childhood development uh, facilitators but also to train up a primary health care worker and a, a midwife in uh, one of these um, villages as a as a model and uh, and to try to support the mothers during their pregnancy because also as I mentioned, a lot of uh, mothers would die uh, unnecessarily uh, due to pregnancy-related uh, causes. And uh, that, that shocked me because if you take the mother away of a family, they really are the nucleus. Uh, and especially in third sector poor countries, the mother is, is really the, the, the key to the family's existence. And uh, and you take that mother away and, you know, by and large, the father will remarry and the stepmother doesn't always want to accept uh, the children of the previous marriage and therefore pushes the children away, either willingly or unwillingly. And uh, the children feel unloved and they come to the streets or they get snapped up by traffickers uh, into prostitution or they become domestic slaves. And for me, uh, creating a daycare health centre was uh, was what I did and it became successful and the government asked me to stay longer. Um, I worked with my wife, I fell in love with my wife and we married in uh, 1999 and, uh, and that's really where the story continued from there. Right. Wow. That's uh, it's quite a story. Um, and those crashes, were they uh, like full time or uh, I mean, uh, did, did children live there um, uh, during the daytime or like what, what were the mechanics of that? Exactly. So that the whole the whole concept was a very, very simple concept. It was really a releasing and freeing up the parents so that they could become more economically productive uh, during the daytime uh, working in the fields. Because, of course, you know, it was pure 100 percent agriculture up in the remote uh, areas. And uh, for the children to be in a safe place uh, during the daytime from around nine o'clock till about four o'clock. And, uh, you know, in the knowledge that the parents have their children in a safe place, 
they, they, as mentioned, they can become more economically productive, but also uh, the children aren't, uh, you know, subject to potential snake bites uh, in, in the fields if the parents leave them uh, in, in a field to play or that they leave them in the village uh, and fall off high, high platform walls because there's, of course, no fencings. Uh, so for, right. for, for, for us, it was really to, to create a safe haven for the children to be. Uh, and uh, that 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 concept really was uh, has become quite special because at the time when I set these uh, daycare health center models up and, and then were asked to do more by the government and for me to to ask the government in turn to support uh, the facilitator's salary they they basically laughed at me and they said well <laughs> this is not part of the educational curriculum we only have schools uh, for children age six and above. And I said, yeah, but your children, you know, one third of them die, you know, before they reach school going age. So what's the point? And they, uh, they, they, they did agree. They said, we don't have a budget. We, it, it's just not part of the curriculum yet. We hope one day it will be. And the good news is, is that since we've been building these daycare health centers since 1995, and we built a lot, uh, we, we've been able to create a, a, a model that the government has realized works. And now, uh, all those years later, about five years ago, they decided to... Uh, take uh, this project on board and to um, add, add the uh, early childhood development uh, uh, theme into their mainstream educational system, which basically now means that each government uh, school, primary school, has an early childhood development classroom with a facilitator that they pay for. So that really is sustainable development where you come up with a model, you create an idea which uh, which proves to work, you, uh, you, you measure the impact, and you ask the government to uh, take it on board. So, so it's, right. it's, a, it's a national project now. So it's fantastic. Millions of children are being uh, are being uh, supported, and of course, the uh, the uh, average um, child mortality rate under five has has dropped uh, drastically uh, to 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 a, a national average of, of less than five percent. Wow, that's that's really impressive. And this has been implemented nationwide then in uh, Nepal. It is now being uh, uh, implemented nationwide. That's correct. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. So then, um, uh, from from uh, that great work um, to um, hospitality, um, please tell us uh, how you uh, how you went from from that to uh, to running a resort. Well, that that's right. Um, it, it's it sounds strange, doesn't it, Yost? Because here we have uh, an international development aid worker who who suddenly turns kind of businessman, and uh, it, it's the it's the opposite route, isn't it? But uh, <laughs> right, yeah. And I I I feel it's exactly the reason why I'm I'm trying to um, work in business because I do realize that uh, the biggest let's say, flaw of social workers and uh, non-government organizations, not only in Nepal, but worldwide. They are a, a good social welfare worker and international development worker are usually very, very poor business people. And business people are usually very poor uh, uh, social workers and, and don't see really the need why you should why you should give your money away. And I think now... Uh, things are changing worldwide. Things uh, are becoming more globalized. People are traveling more and they can see that the small percentage of rich people abroad 
um, you know, are just the lucky ones who have been born in, in that situation. But let's say right. 95% of the people have been born in poverty and it's not due to their own testament and mistake. So sharing uh, is caring. That's, of course, uh, 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 you know, uh, something that people have have become aware about. And I think companies are aware that corporate social responsibility is very important and giving back some of your wealth um, makes the world go around. Uh, so that, that's, that, that really was the fundamental kind of grassroots of where I was coming from that I realized when I was fundraising abroad to try to fund the projects and speaking to business people and asking them for their money when I was young, uh, at 29, 30, 31 years old doing that, the businessmen were generally older than me. They were 40 years plus. Uh, but as I got older and they got younger, uh, it beca- the, the ask became more difficult. And so I asked myself, well, how, how would it be if I put themselves, if I put myself in their shoes and became a businessman myself? And if I could prove that I was given the profits that I was making through my business uh, to the very social causes that I believed in, i.e. local businesses in Nepal supporting local causes, and in a fairly substantial way, then it would be far more easier for me to go to the tiger economies in Asia, such as you know Singapore, Hong Kong, uh, Middle East, Dubai, etc., to to say to them, look, I, I'm I'm giving my uh, percentages away. Uh, this is uh, actually providing me a good return because people are staying at my business, which is a hotel, uh, because we're giving money back. So actually, it comes back to me. So the more you give, the more you get back. And, and so with that philosophy, uh, me and my wife, who were very fortunate after we got married in 1999 to decide not to live in the city, but to live just outside the city in this very nice valley, um, surrounded by uh, hills and forests with the views of the mountains, and uh, to have a, an organic uh, small farm uh, to live. Right, and this is uh, outside of Pokhara, right? That, that, that's right. It's, uh, it's not far. It's about 20 minutes from the airport, which is in central Pokhara. And uh, so it's, uh, it's about from the airport. It's about a six kilometer drive. Um, it's very uh, romantic because it's a, a bit of a rough road getting to us. So you, though you're actually very close to the city, uh, you, you, you feel yet a million miles away. And, right. uh, and so that, that, that's really where the story started that we decided to create a, a small uh, boutique um, high-end resort uh, which uh, w- would actually seriously be able to contribute and, and make a difference. Right. So actually a question about that because um, uh, you must have felt confident that you uh, were going to be able to pull off uh, transitioning from uh, a social worker, so to speak, to, to a businessman. Um, how did you uh, how did you feel confident uh, that you were able to do that? Well, I think you know, uh, in my upbringing, um, my mum uh, was a was was a you know came from a, a legal background, and um, my father was uh, working in, in London City as a stockbroker. So I I, I think I picked up. Um, the principles of business, um, but it still wasn't really me. And when I came over here, I realized that dealing uh, 
with with uh, communities and really working from my heart was one aspect of me. And, and I'm born, you know, in June, so I am a Gemini. And uh, you know, I I also realized that there was another side of me that if I needed to take the interests of the of the of the hard done by people seriously. Um, I, I would need to try to make money some way or another, whether that be myself or uh, be able to approach uh, business people um, and, and to really, rather than begging them for money, to actually look at it more from a business deal and, and really uh, putting the proposal to them as such that it was investing in people rather than investing in a material product. And, and to show them and to prove to them that I was capable and that my non-profit company was capable of managing their funds well, showing the impact uh, that it was creating uh, according to the targets that we had set. And, uh, and I think that approach they really liked. So I, I hope that answers your question. It was always kind of... I think so. I think so. So I think um, I, I, I listened to this as, you know, you, you were basically... Um, already uh, embodying some of the business uh, thinking into into your early uh, work uh, in the social space is that right that, that's that's correct yeah oh, great. Um, yeah and and so um, how did um, um, then the pavilions come about uh, there I think there were a few steps in between right in, in the hospitality space is that right that's right. I suppose from, uh, as you mentioned, um, early on when I set up my first NGO in Nepal called Child Welfare Scheme Nepal, um, the concept was, right, well, let's, let's take, uh, you know, funding from uh, the business people abroad and get them on board as partners to, to invest in, in, in the daycare health centers that we were setting up. But tr let's try and stimulate them to give more, uh, simply because if I could prove that a very high percentage of their actual funds that they were donating go straight to the people rather than on administrational costs, that would stimulate them to give more. But how would we cover the administrational costs? And so I, I came up with the idea that where I was based in Pokhara, it is actually the gateway to the Himalayas and the beautiful Annapurna Mountains. And uh, it, it's, it's really where the vast majority of treks start in Nepal, other than really the Langtan and Helambu and uh, Mount Everest trek. All other treks start from, from our area. Uh, so let, let, let's, let's try to create small trekkers' lodges uh, where I could, um, you know, try my uh, my hospitality talent, if you wish, and uh, you know, provide uh, you know trekkers with uh, nice, comfortable services, but nothing flash at that time, and try to um, get in contact with those people that were staying with me to to uh, become aware of what I was doing with Child Welfare Scheme Nepal, and maybe even donating some additional funds in the donation boxes. Uh, and maybe even if they have particular skills that they could contribute as volunteers, that we could benefit from that as well. So it was really a, a, a three-tier approach. And uh, so we started uh, the Nature's Grace Lodge 
1997, uh, 1996, sorry, and uh, that became uh, quite, quite well known. It was an eight-room lodge, and due to its success, we uh, expanded to another lodge in the same uh, street called Butterfly Lodge in 1999, and that went actually very well, but sadly, at the time, the um, the political... Uh, uh, upheaval uh, in Nepal was quite uh, was quite hitting by 2001 2002 and uh, right. by 2005 I, I realized that the whole purpose of the hotels actually contributing to child welfare scheme in Nepal uh, was not happening anymore due to uh, the lack of tourism and so I decided to uh, to close uh, uh, both of the um, lodges down but that that was really my background in in uh, in in hotel management and then later Later in 2007, when we um, expanded the farm, uh, one of the uh, uh, farm owners next to us who wanted to sell off said, well, you can have my land to join your, your land, but my little home in the village, uh, you'll, you'll have to take that as well. And that was a cute cottage, and we decided with a separate compound, we decided, well, why don't we take that on board and create a kind of a beautiful homestay, very comfortable with its own compound, with uh, a Nepalese person from the village, you know, being able to cook for you, uh, keeping your, your house tidy, and also acting as a, as a guide. Uh, and, and that went really well. Um, lots of families in particular really loved the little family cottage that we'd set up. And from there, uh, the pavilions grew from there. We started building pavilions about um, three and a half years ago, and we uh, opened uh, in, in November uh, 2015, so just uh, seven months ago. That's right. And so in the period, uh, sort of mid-2000s, uh, did, uh, I mean, tourism went through, a, the, the, the country went through a hard time and tourism sort of collapsed. Uh, and did it then kind of slowly start coming back, um, which then gave you the confidence to sort of start a new uh, hospitality concept? Um, just trying to understand a little bit the background of, of, uh, of, of how Nepal um, uh, developed in the time. Uh, absolutely. Well, we're going back in, 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 um, in recent history. You see, Nepal um, uh, became a, a democracy in 1990, and um, new, new and young democracies always suffer uh, from uh, political parties trying to find their way and trying to obviously control um, certain aspects of the country. And uh, that, that you could see happen um, with two main parties, the, the more right-wing Nepali Congress and the more left social wing um, UML, United uh, Union of Marxist-Leninists, um, we could see that by 1996-1997 that the poorer people who didn't really have much to say, um, they were kind of left behind. And uh, a new group of, of, of and political arm called the Maoists, uh, they, they started gaining momentum. And by, um, by 2000 and 2001, uh, more people started to take these, uh, this group uh, seriously because uh, they were not a, a peaceful movement. They were actually using force and, and armed conflict as their, as their means to, to, to have their voice heard. And at the same time, um, we had the Royal Massacre, uh, which um, you may recall... 
For sure, absolutely, yep. And that that happened um, on on June first, uh, two thousand and one, uh, and it was a disaster because literally overnight the whole um, royal family, except the brother of the then king and his son uh, and his wife, were 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 massacred, and um, and so it was it was really the the beginning of the end uh, to the um, monarchy. And uh, the, 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 the king that then came in power, the brother, he acted more uh, in, a, in a dictatorial way, uh, which, which the people didn't like because they were trying to establish themselves, obviously, still as a democracy. And so you can imagine how this all compounded, that if you've got a king that's unloved, uh, the instability that has been created uh, by the political situation, and then on top of that, uh, a, a, a militia called the Maoists trying to gain momentum. Uh, it, it really was political mayhem, and by two thousand and six, it really came to to a head where um, it was really a, a, a standoff between the king who had the army rule and uh, trying to um, you know push the political parties down and then uh, uh, amazingly what 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 broke the deadlock was really the Nepali Congress and the UML and the other parties uh, working together with the Maoists and saying look let's put our uh, troubles behind us let's work together and fight the king and they overthrew the king and um, and that then they decided, with the support of the international community and the United Nations, to um, to to hold uh, elections, uh, which they did in uh, two thousand and seven, uh, and and to um, go ahead peacefully and to down arms and um, and fr- from that day onwards, from two thousand and seven, I think that's when. It was a breath of, uh, of of fresh air and relief to the whole tourism industry, which is, you know, one of the largest um, foreign uh, U.S. dollar income uh, sources that Nepal knows and has. Right, Nepal must have really suffered, I guess, uh, through the years uh, uh, when tourism was really down, right? That's right, and and you know, I mean, obviously, you know, agriculture, agriculture being the number one earner, but uh, you know, tourism certainly, you know, uh, touching a shared number two with with uh, uh, with a general uh, soft industry, and then number three now actually, or, or or gaining momentum now is actually the remittance, uh, the remittance earners, the 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 basically the export of young labour uh, to to in particular uh, the Gulf and India. Uh, so you can imagine that that is actually telling, isn't it? Because there's n- it's not like Thailand where you've got opportunities. Here, the young people do not have work opportunities. So it's all export um, labor and um, with with the consequences, of course, of uh, of abuse and bonded labor abroad, or passports being confiscated and, 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 and worse. And we see a, a very clear uh, example of that um, in... in, in uh, the young Nepalese boys and girls working, for instance, in Qatar on the um, football stadiums that are being built for to host the World Cup in 2022. Right. And the conditions are horrific there, right, where many of them die and uh, are working in very uh, harsh uh, conditions. Exactly, exactly. And, and so um, the, the sadness of all of this is, is that what, what, uh, what Nepal needs, it's, it needs its tourism back. 
Um, it, it's a safe country uh, to come to. There's, there's absolutely no doubt. Um, yes, it was shaken up again by the earthquake, uh, well, a couple of earthquakes and, and, and more than 400 aftershocks uh, uh, last year, as, as the world knows. Um, but, but all I can say is, uh, is, is I, I live here with my wife and three young children, and um, it, it is absolutely safe. And it's a, it's a, it's a country that really needs the, um, the confidence of, of the international community. Uh, so that they can uh, regain their jobs here in the tourism sector, and um, and and of obviously provide the the hospitality that they're so famous for. Exactly, and it sounds like the pavilions is is an example where um, you leverage the strength of the country, which is its beautiful nature, um, its awesome um, uh, you know hospitality, and the people are, are great. So you know it, it it it's it's definitely an effort that uh, aligns very well with. Uh, what Nepal is, is great at. Um, so yeah, I'd love to, to hear a little bit more about uh, the pavilions. Uh, I've been there actually, I passed by uh, a few months ago. It's, it's absolutely beautiful and it's quite uh, well put together. It's luxurious, it's, uh, it has its own uh, food supply and everything. So uh, yeah, I'd love to hear your vision a little bit about that and um, how you uh, put it all together. Uh, sure, well, thank you uh, for that. Uh, and I'm glad that you uh, made it over, uh, Joost. Um, the the concept was, uh, as I mentioned earlier, really to um, have local businesses support uh, local social causes and to create, like we did all those years back with the Dacre Health Centers, a model that the government would copy. Now I'd like to create a model that the tourism industry can copy. So, so uh, and not only the tourism industry, but also generally the business houses. How cool would it be if, if the business houses in Nepal that uh, earn a lot of money, and some really do, um, that they give some of that wealth away uh, through understanding that corporate social responsibility actually does work. And, and even if it's just for the good feel factor, uh, you know, it, it, it's it's worth uh, seriously um, uh, contemplating and doing. But sometimes uh, there are companies that have to take the lead on this and, and show the way. And I think the first philosophy is that Pavilion Himalaya has been set up to um, show that corporate social responsibility is important. Uh, it supports the country, that we don't always need international funding to, to bail uh, the poverty out of Nepal we have to start within our own circles. And that's what really Pavilions Himalaya is about. It's a combination of um, providing a first-class um, facility for uh, visitors from abroad and alike uh, local Nepalese who have money to spend uh, to provide um, a, a, a really unique experience for the guests to enjoy. Uh, they can, from our place, they can see the mountains, they can see the Manaslu range, the Lamjung and part of the Annapurna. Um, we are surrounded by hills and, and forests, uh, but we are nestled on a working farm, uh, which uh, me and my wife had set up all those years back when we bought the land after we got married in 1999. So we got 
buffaloes, cows, uh, chickens, goats, wild boar, uh, and uh, we're we're just planting rice today. In fact, and um, you know when you come out of your villas, which are in itself quite unique because one room is one villa, and um, you walk out of your villa and you're straight in the field. So we don't, we haven't put, um, you know, fences around your villas. We haven't put fences around the whole compound of the resort. The idea, obviously, is not to keep the people out because you as a, as a visitor, as a, as a tourist, come here to experience Nepal, to experience the, the village people, to experience the culture. And, and so we're quite unique in having set up a eco-green uh, organic uh, farm resort where everything is harvested on site for you. So um, the idea of each villa uh, having its own water supply harvested through the rainwater collection, then filtered, and then this water uh, being uh, used for your um, showers and your bath and, and your hand washing, and um, we provide our own uh, organic biodegradable uh, shower gels and shampoos and body lotions so that that, when it's mixed with the water, is collected again and filtered through something what we call a wetland garden filtration system tank. And uh, that has five different uh, filtration uh, units within the tank. And that water, when it's cleaned, is called grey water. And that grey water then goes back to the flushing of the latrines, of the loos, of the toilets. And that water, which we call black water, then goes down the hill uh, through piping uh, and it is, is added to the biogas. And the biogas plant is then substituted with the uh, manure from the animals, from the cows, the goats, the buffaloes. And, and that provides the methane gas that goes back up uh, to the kitchen, um, which is our restaurant kitchen, and that cooks uh, the, the food that we grow on the farm, and then it's straight fresh on your plate. So you can't, and, and, and then the, the slurry, basically the manure slurry left over from the biogas plant, that goes back on the field as manure. So you, you can't actually have a, a more green approach than that. And the electricity is harvested through solar. So we, um, we heat our water through uh, solar. Uh, but if on cloudy days uh, it, it doesn't work, that, that doesn't also matter because we have a kind of a heat exchange system where we have uh, heat pumps. And uh, that's a kind of a reversed air conditioning idea, uh, but powered by solar. So again, eco-friendly. Great. It's a whole ecosystem that uh, sustains itself, right, in many ways. Well, exactly. And e even all the electricity, um, I mean, we do, do, of course, we have a backup generator, but we uh, try not to use that at all. Um, and uh, in, in principle, the, uh, the, the whole system uh, is run on, on solar power. Right. That's great. I definitely uh, recommend everyone who's listening to uh, when you have a chance to make it over to Nepal, uh, certainly check out the pavilions and, and try to stay there if there's uh, availability. It's, uh, it's a very special place for sure. Uh, thank you very much. Um, hey, and so Douglas, then other than, uh, of course, staying at the pavilions, what would you recommend uh, travelers um, uh, would do if they want to come to Nepal and, and make a positive contribution? Of course, 
it's probably a balance between um, uh, having a great experience for themselves, but, but how can people combine that with, with helping Nepal? Well, you know, one has to be really, um, really careful. So I'm really glad that you um, asked that question because a lot of people, they really want to contribute. Um, it comes from their heart. Uh, and uh, sometimes the support that they want to give from their from their heart, from their passion, from their emotion, isn't always constructive support. Uh, we could see that actually with the um, with the earthquake. When the earthquake happened, there was um, you know, uh, of course, worldwide coverage about what had happened in Nepal, and you could see that so the people were trying to contribute in ways. For example, uh, we'll send secondhand clothes. Um, we will um, send blankets, we will send tents, we will send medicine, we will send, you know, you name it, 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 it was sent. And very sadly, this um, got stockpiled at the airport. And mm. uh, a lot of the, of, the, of the aid material and goods that were sent um, actually had to be, uh, uh, again, incinerated um, and sent back to Bangladesh because there weren't incinerators here. An example is the medicine. So the medicine mm. was often, uh, you know, the sell by date had passed, or it was um, medicine that uh, had a prescription in, in Russian language, which uh, people in the village can't, of course, read. So you could get right. uh, dosage mistakes and could become really dangerous. Uh, culturally, uh, people they don't really like to wear secondhand clothes uh, here. Um, uh, they they would prefer to, for instance, um, have their own economy supported. So what would have work better is that for the same money that you pay for the weight on the airplanes for the freight charge is that you um, that you use that money to uh, buy uh, new clothes in Nepal supporting the local shopkeeper and the economy uh, and, and providing those clothes to be distributed to the places where it's needed so right. the, the, that's just an example now when tourists come here now um, post earthquake I would say the first thing is you know, when, when you book your holiday, for, for example, through um, uh, different agents like Kim Kim and, and others, you make sure that you choose wisely. Make sure that, you know, the, 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 the travel agents that you, um, you know, use abroad uh, really truly do contribute and support the local um, uh, providers uh, on the ground. So, for instance, that they work together with trekking companies on the ground that are local, um, that they support the local tea houses or during their treks, they support the local hotels. That's one way. The second thing, of course, is if, 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 um, if, uh, uh, guests are going to uh, book their holidays, um, best to try to do a little bit of extra research and to try and find um, the hotels that they want to stay and then be sensible and book directly with the hotels or with the restaurants or with the trekking companies because in that way there's no commission. For example, you know, uh, Booking.com or Agoda or Expedia, of course, they take a lot of commission that the that the local um, people will 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 not see, and therefore, right. you know, uh, so that's another uh, a way that you can do it uh, as you are planning your holiday. Once you are in Nepal, um, it, it, it is important. That if you to, to not, for example, 
um, fall into the trap of um, of the very clever, cunning beggars on the streets. Uh, you know, it, it you will not uh, help a street child who wants to actually leave the street by uh, giving him or her money when they're begging on the street, because. Um, this will show, you know, provide success for them, and that will keep them on the street. Um, so, so we must not promote uh, uh, people coming to the street and people staying on the street. That that's important. The other thing, in in terms of uh, childcare, be very uh, careful not to fall in the trap of um, supporting orphanages. Um, the vast majority of children who are currently in orphanages, and I'm talking the vast majority, about 82% of children that are currently in orphanages are not orphans. Uh, therefore, um, we call this uh, the orphan business. Um, it, it's a very easy way for um, Nepalese businessmen to um, earn a very fast buck uh, by promoting that they are uh, helping children through private uh, boarding school education, um, please sponsor this child. And then what they do is they will sponsor this child maybe multiple times. In fact, some orphanages that we've been checking up on, you know, have been supporting the same child 12 times. So if you have a thousand US dollars support for one child, which includes, you know, um, lodging, uh, food, education uh, and, and clothing, um, you can imagine that if they charge a thousand US dollars for one and they do that 12 times, it's 12,000 US dollars. And if you've got 60 children in your home, that's big business. So please, wow. please, please don't do that. Um, be, be very uh, careful uh, where you provide your support. Um, and of course, uh, when you're um, when you're in uh, Nepal, support the local businesses. You know, uh, you know, do do go shopping. Do 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 uh, try your skills at at the local bargaining. It's it's fun and it supports the local economy. Yeah, yeah. So I think in short, uh, yeah, come to Nepal and 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 travel and do as much local as possible. Spend your money locally. I think is uh, probably a practical way that uh, travelers can. Uh, travel responsibly absolutely absolutely right all right so i, th I think it's it's time to wrap up um, um uh it's very interesting to hear your path um lots of uh, amazing insights and uh, experiences um personally i i certainly hope to be back uh, near pokhara in uh, and meet in person um and i really hope that uh, a lot of our listeners also can come to nepal and uh, potentially also visit uh the pavilions. Uh, it was really a pleasure to talk to you, Douglas. No, thank you very much, Joost, um, to, uh, to to be interviewed. It's it's uh, it's a great pleasure, and uh, it 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 really does help Nepal. Uh, and uh, thank you for this opportunity. Much appreciated. Great, my pleasure. Take care. <laughs>